You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. So I talked about a movie called Blue Valentine in the sermon, which I think maybe three people saw, but I tried to unpack it in a way that it didn't matter whether you saw it or not. I feel like this movie reference that I'm about to give more of you will have seen. And again, if you haven't seen it, it's okay. I'll try to unpack it. And please, in the back, let me know if I'm not being loud enough. Okay? Okay. Uh, So have any of you seen the movie The Fighter? It's with Mark Wahlberg, it's got Christian Bale. Christian Bale won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for it. It's about, if any of you are into boxing, it's about a real life boxer named Mickey Ward. And if any of you aren't into boxing, what I would say is after this, if you, if you can handle this, watch the highlights of the fight between Mickey Ward and Gotti. It is one of, if not the best, most exciting fights of all time. And even for me, this is what got me into boxing. Now, for some of you, you're not going to be into boxing no matter what, and you can disregard what I'm about to say, but this movie is about this fighter. This fighter uh, grew up in a a town called Lowell in Massachusetts. It's a blue-collar town. It is one of those, like, falling-apart towns in America that, unfortunately, we only have more and more of those kind of towns now. But really, kind of middle of nowhere, there's not what much work to be had. Drug use is rampant. And um, so the movie is about his rise to being the ch- a champion of the world. Now, the, the story starts with his family. Mickey has an older brother whose name is Dickie. And Dickie is the pride of Lowell. He's the pride of Lowell because he, who's 10 years older than Nicky, he was a boxer too, and he fought Sugar Ray Leonard. And while he lost, he knocked Sugar Ray Leonard down, which I don't think at that, until that point, nobody had done before. Sugar Ray Leonard, again, if you don't know boxing, one of the best boxers yeah. ever. Uh, He's pretty face. Pretty face, best <laughs> boxer ever. Uh, boxed, I think, I think it's 70s, 80s, you'd say. But so, I mean, he, he becomes this hero of the town, but the problem is, as I, well, before I get to the problem, he is, he's trying to coach his brother Mickey because he wants Mickey to become the kind of fighter that he was. He wants him to become a premier boxer and even surpass where he went because he never won any championships. So he is coaching his brother. He is essentially he's training him, he's getting him matches, and he's giving him the confidence he needs to succeed because Nicky idolizes his brother, right? Cider, uh, his, his brother knocked down the champion boxer. The problem is that Dicky is addicted to crack. Dicky, this, this champion who had, you know, got some money, at least for that area, had enough money, um, but like so many stories, he, he gave way to an addiction. Uh, and it start, for a little while, he can handle it, right? He's, he's showing up late to practice, but he's still a great boxer. He's training his brother. Um, and, but then it, it gets worse and worse. He starts to, because he's not all there, he starts to agree to ill-advised fights for his brother, Mickey. 
So Mickey is fighting people 20 pounds heavier than him. And if you know anything about boxing or wrestling, you're, you're fighting within a weight class. If you get beyond your weight class, you're going to not only lose, but maybe get really, really hurt. And that happens to Mickey. And ultimately, he fails his brother Mickey because he gets sentenced to prison. He, drug use, crime, etc. So as the movie progresses, it becomes clear that Dickie, his, his one passion, the thing that he wants more than anything in the world is for his brother to be like he was, to surpass it. But by the end of the movie, or by the middle of the movie, it becomes clear that Dickie's consuming passion is his drug use. Again, not that he wants it, but it becomes this less wild lover that eclipses the love that he wants to have, that he, that he has. And I, I think that when I was watching this movie, I thought it was very good for this prayer because this, this prayer is all about focus, right? We're saying, help us have perpetual love and reverence for your name. Now, if you know anything about the colics, and I'm gonna keep talking about them, so you hopefully will, but the colics usually begin with a, you know, almighty God, and then we say something about God's character, like maybe, you know, your property, property is always to have mercy kind of language. Uh, but in this one, it's, it, it's a little bit more desperate. It's, we don't have time for the niceties. What do we say? Oh Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your name. Uh, I think the intensity is because we are so often drawn to less wild lovers, to lovers less wild. And I love that way of viewing idolatry and sin because sometimes it's, you know, we're, uh, it's, when, one, the word idol or idolatry, it's, it's, it's so in our DNA that we don't even know what it is when we hear it. Uh, but I, I think where, where it's helpful is uh, when we ask ourselves the questions like, why am I doing that thing again that I do not want to do. Why am, well, I know this is what I want, but what I want has been eclipsed or I've gotten, I've veered off course by something else that I want less. And you know, sometimes our best illustration for this is addiction, right? Because it's so visceral, it's so in our face. It's, you know, our language around it is such that we understand like, okay, well, yeah, my father, right? My father, when I was a little kid, uh, told me I, don't want to smoke. And as a kid, I was like, well then just, just stop. If you don't want to, just stop doing it. And he was like, but I, I can't. And I, was, I said, why? And he said, well, Ben, because I love smoking. And I just like, you know, as a little kid that didn't compute. So, Wait, you say you don't want to smoke and yet, yeah. So another illustration where like the telos or the end game or what we want, in Dickie's case, more than anything, I want Mickey to be the kind of fighter I was. And yet, yeah, imagine little Ben again. Like, well, if, you, if that's what you want, why don't you just do that? Uh, and maybe with age or whatever experience, our own addictions, we realize it's not as simple as that. But that's why I think this prayer, and I mean, this isn't the only prayer like this, but many prayers like this are so important. It's uh, our prayer here is not, you know, we're good people getting better. Uh, our prayer is, Lord, I need your help to stay in love with you. I say that I want to follow you. Uh, and maybe I made a decision X amount of years ago, or maybe I've been on a spiritual mountaintop here or there, but 
I don't know, hopefully you haven't experienced it, but I've definitely gone dry in seasons. I've definitely gone to periods where I'm like, I don't even know what to make of this anymore. Maybe you're here, I mean, today, and you're kind of in a dry place, or maybe you're here and you're just kind of teetering between belief and unbelief. Uh, did you all see that poll that came out, the Gallup poll, about how fewer people believe in God than uh, pretty much as far as we can remember? Uh, fewer people say they believe in God anyway. The number is still very high, which is, uh, it's like over 80%, but still, it was 87% uh, seven years ago, and now it's 81%. Uh, Lord, help us to fall in love with you. I, I mean, I don't know if any of you are on Twitter or social media, but uh, and a lot of this is very real, folks. I mean, uh, uh, sure, I roll my eyes at some exvangelical language at times, exvangelical being people who, like, uh, essentially have been burned by the church and therefore... Uh, they want to be a part of it no more, or uh, they either have a faith that's very different or no faith at all. And I don't want to be too hard on that because, I mean, as we've seen with reports from the Southern Baptist Church Convention, et cetera, there's been some really bad things. And uh, I don't know, like, yeah, if, if stuff like that happened to me, I was talking about in the, in, in the refectory service about how, you know, we're all kind of craving a promise and we get the best promise of all in Galatians, right? That God's moving towards us even when we're running the other way. That our standing before God is is based on what God's done and not what, what we've done. Um, but when someone praiseworthy, especially in the church, someone we admire, uh, I was going to say lets us down, but it's, I mean, especially in some of these ways where it's more than lets you down. It's hard for me to even, it's hard for me to imagine why they're still with us. So uh, sometimes I, I want to tell people, oh, like, you're brave for, state, for not conflating Jesus with, you know, this figure who really kind of was Jesus to you. Um, maybe you're not in a place like that. Maybe it's less dramatic. Maybe it really is just kind of a, you know, I got my high periods, my low periods. And, uh, and, and bless all of you guys who, I know like in our day and age, we kind of, knock on people who aren't fired up for Jesus all the time. Don't get me wrong. I love to be fired up for Jesus all the time. But sometimes like what people call a dead faith is actually like, no, it's just like a, a day at a time. It's like, you know, I, I'm coming to church. I don't think, you know, I don't trust my feelings. Yeah, I try not to trust my feelings sometimes. Again, if you're a truster of your feeling is great, but like sometimes it's just like, all right, like got to go to church. Got to, got to pray here. Uh, it's, you know, I might feel like nothing's really happening, but and I mean, there's obviously a history of that in the church. So, but, but we are essentially praying for a perpetual love, uh, but also we're praying for a reverence. So Augustine, Luther, Calvin, early church fathers, they're, they're all about you know, the, the love for God because you know, our weight goes where our loves are. We, we, we go in the direction of our love. Again, one of the examples being addiction, right? Uh, but we, we, don't, we talk a little bit less about reverence for God. And, but we, we see this throughout the scriptures, right? We, we, we see throughout the Psalms a fear of the Lord talk, or you know, in other parts of the scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I think we, we get afraid of that sometimes because some of the people in our lives who've talked about the fear of the Lord have been those very people who've turned us off from the faith. Um, but really, I, I mean, the reverence is a great word here. Fear of the Lord is a reverence for God, that God really is our Lord. And we, we call him Lord because he has our good in mind. 
uh, his, as we said, as we've said before, his property is always to have mercy. And if we can, uh, while other lords are oftentimes in it all for themselves and they're all tyrants, whatever, uh, maybe not everyone, but a lot of them, <laughs> our Lord is one whose property is always to have mercy. Our Lord is for us. And so, you know, in classic Bob Dylan sense, if everyone's got to serve somebody, like let's, let's serve the one who's for us, the living God. So I just wanted to focus on that for a second. But yeah, we're praying for this perpetual love so that we won't, will not, be, will not veer off course, that we won't succumb to less wild lovers. We want to be captivated by the ultimate lover, the one who pursues us, the one who, again, if you're in the refectory, this is me talking to that other sermon, the one who always keeps his promises. So we're praying for this love, and, but, and then we get to the part that we usually say at the beginning, the part about God's attributes afterward. For you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. So we prayed, we have this desperate cry, Lord, keep us in love with you. Keep us revering you. And there's, there's this notion of why, well, why should we want this? For you never fail to help us. You never fail to govern us. You have set us on the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Again, promise language here, assurance language here. This Lord, this, you know, uh, again, I, I, I feel un uncomfortable saying it at times, but you'll find this throughout the church, this language of God as this, you know, the, the capital L lover who's pursuing us. What is that language? The language that we see so often in scriptures that we don't know what to make of, right? Because, you know, we, we rightly so say God's omnipotent, uh, God is omnipresent, God is, you know, on some level simple in that, you know, he doesn't have passions in the way humans do. But we, we can't do too much work with that, right? Because the Old Testament and the New are chock full of our God is a jealous God. Our God is one who pursues. Our God uh, there's there's that pictures of God being angry. There's even words like wrath pertaining to God. Um, now I think unfortunately some of the pastors who, <laughs> including the ones I've had, uh, who've turned me off to the faith at times have have like leaned into like God is flipping angry at you, and, and you're like oh my God. <laughs> uh, that, but that's not really what we're supposed to glean from from these passages. These passages are. We glean from them that God loves us, that God, you know, when we hear language about wrath, uh, I'm going to preach a sermon at some point that's the good news of the wrath of God. And what I mean by that, like it sounds counterintuitive, but the good news of the wrath of God is that God loves you and me so much that anything that gets in the way of God's love for you and me, anything that hurts God's creatures, God has a simple no to that. God is going to separate us from all of that in the kingdom come. God is actively separating us from all that hurts us, all that you know, gets in the way of our relationship. So again, these, this is, I, I think it's helpful to, again, re retain our orthodoxy, retain our, you know, the doctrine of God. Uh, and also, I mean, we who have a high view of the scriptures, what do we do with language where, like, 
or God has. It's like these, you know, maybe it's an anthropomorphism. I don't know, but where God is angry, God is this and that. And again, uh, putting that in its proper order, not falling back to a place of fear of like, well, okay, like, I mean, do I, should I love this God? This God is, you know, angry or or pissed. Uh, Our God's so for us that he's just not going to abide that which hurts us. He's, and we, we get pictures of that in, in, the, in the epistle reading for today, right? There is no more Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. Uh, these things that actually hurt us, right? Um, racism actually hurts us. Uh, uh, I guess uh, misogyny actually hurts us. Or, you know, I mean, th- hatred of men actually hurts you. Uh, slave or free, we are still coming to grips with how this has hurt our nation, how this has hurt our world. Uh, So this, now all of this is obviously on his sure foundation, as the prayer says. You and I are loved. Our standing before God is because of his righteousness and not uh, any of our efforts, or contingent upon any of our sins. Thank, thank, thanks be to God. But we, again, the, the keeping us in love with you, helping us to stand against these things that hurt us, it's, it's actually good news. It's the good life, the good life that we say we want, or that we want to want. Uh, this, this life, again, uh, we need to look back to the cross, back to the resurrection, but we also would do well to look forward. What will it be? What will the kingdom look like? It will look like many things, but one thing is there will be no more Jew or Greek. There will be as many black people in the churches in heaven as white people, or Latino, or you fill in the blank. Men and women will have this equal standing in the kingdom that is to come. There won't be slaves in the kingdom that is to come. So, even though with all of our efforts uh, to undo, I guess you could say, these systems or whatever, we're going to take one foot forward, two steps back in this life. It's all going to be imperfect. Uh, but because our, we're not justified by our right action or our misguided action, we can take risks, we can, we can step, take a step toward what it will be. Uh, and that's, that's part of what it means to have this perpetual love and reverence. Now I want to end it on a very you know, uh, comforting note, right? I like the, the comfortable words come after the sermon, right? Uh, the comforting word being that we're praying for perpetual love because so often we don't have it. So often we're distracted. So often we're pursuing those less wild lovers. And while for those of us at the Advent, it might not be crack. If it is for you, fair enough, get help. Um, but you know, if I'm gonna tell people who are addicted to crack to get help, uh, maybe we in our like less unsexy uh, addictions might do well to get help as well. We're, we're essentially, we're, we, we want our love to be steadfast, 
And even though ours so often isn't, his is steadfast. If you're in the refectory, you're going to get this twice. But though everyone be a liar, Luther at one point says, though every man be a liar, Christ is no liar. Uh, Though you have experienced broken promises, though you and I have broken our promises, Christ keeps his promises. Christ's love is steadfast. And it's within that, it's in that sure foundation, we pray, help us stay steadfast to you and to our neighbors. Help us keep our promises. Help us not veer off course to the lovers less wild. And when we do, help me. And help me know that I'm, I'm not too far gone or that the love is still coming towards me. So again, this class has really all been about the one-way love of God for you and me, but also what that one-way love of God births in us. Uh, And it's a real hope, right? Uh, In the midst of this fallen, broken world where we, you know, just a church down the road, we have people getting shot. It kind of reminds us of what St. Paul calls this present evil age, uh, that in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this despair, we have, we know the ending. Uh, we know the ending. And so as Fleming Rutledge likes to say, no deed, however insignificant, however small, is done in vain because we are anticipating resurrection. We are anticipating the kingdom to come. So I want to shut up for a little while. I probably might say a few more things, but anybody have any thoughts at all, comments, questions? You can even disagree. You know, here in the gospel, right, if, uh, if we truly are, if our standing is in Christ, then we need not get so darn defensive all the time. So, yeah. 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 And I do like uh, what, what a lot of theologians have really been at pains to emphasize is, um, of course, I mean, we're doing bad things and again viewing those bad things as things that hurt us uh, God is God is so against that because he loves us and wants what's good for us so in an ultimate sense God's wrath is not directed at you um, again that gets complicated uh, because but there is a notion at least in Protestant theology that you are not what you do um, so, again, when I, when I read the wrath of God, that's where, I, actually, as much as I really like the song, it's, it's soaring, it's great, and don't do too much work with this. The way the In Christ Alone song talks about the wrath of God, I find slightly problematic. Because um, uh, it, it, it kind of makes the atonement into this transaction, which is not really what Calvin, Luther, these guys are doing. We can talk about that another time. <laughs> that's, that's maybe a little bit of a hobby horse. <laughs> Again, I like the song. I'll still sing the song, but <laughs> sorry, so that just came out. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, mean, I say that too. Sorry. I got fired up. The yeah. angry, whatever. I mean, if if uh, if we all had to have perfect Trinitarian theology all the time, well, then I'd probably uh, usually accidentally uh, be a heretic. About you know, I was going to say a th- third of the time, but maybe that's being nice. Uh, but what, what I think, I mean. Uh, Gerald Ray could do a lot with uh, the Trinity, and but 
I think for a lot of us, it's just we come away from lectures on the Trinity like more lost than we were before we went in, which is sometimes unfortunate. Sometimes it's just, you know, I'm not paying attention or whatever. But the Trinity is important. And I think for, for what you're saying, uh, I think it's helpful to be, what you see in Jesus is what you get. Uh, correct me, Luke, I think it's Gregory of Nyssa, the great Eastern Church Father. Who just who emphasizes God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have one will. There's a distinction, but the will is so we, we, we can't set at odds, and I'm not saying you're doing this. Again, you're you're talking about something you're it's just like subconsciously happening in your brain, and sometimes I do this too, but what you see in Jesus is what you get. Uh, there's not this um, hidden God behind Jesus, either in the Spirit or the Father, who is very different than the Son. Does that make sense? So, again, look at the Trinity, because the Trinity is the heart of our faith, but maybe if you're just going to take away with one thing, being what, what you see in Jesus is what you're getting in the Father and the Son. Uh, again, very simplistic, but uh, I think one of the, the our, our biggest, again, not even conscious errors, but like yeah, what you're saying, because I, I have the same thing. This the subconscious thing is to really divide the Trinity as if as if it really is three different gods, as if they're so different from each other. Again, I'm not. I do the same thing. So, um, but yeah. So, I think when you when we see passages like this, that talk about the wrath of God, again, we we want to uphold that, right? Because there is the good news of the wrath of God. That God is not gonna. Again, I need this vivid image, imagery to make the point, but God is not going to let us return back to our own vomit like dogs. God is so for us that God is going to say no more. This is not good for you. And ideally, Holy Spirit, bring that now. Uh, who you have set. Yeah, that's, that's actually really powerful. Thank you for saying that. You never fail to help uncover those whom you have set. Uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, Luther's hymn, uh, 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 "Mighty Fortress." Like, there's, it's, it's, it's not on sand. This is, this is set on 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 the rock. Um, yeah, that's great. Also, I mean, again, I these little prayers that have so much in them, and I think there is kind of a correlation between reverence for God and He governs. So He never felt, never fails to help. I resonate with that a lot because nine-tenths of my prayers, unfortunately, are because I'm only praying to God uh, extemporaneously when I'm in a jam and I'm like, help! Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there's, yeah, that notion, but you never fail to help and govern. So here's this kind of notion of, of, of lordship or uh, what was the, the colic last week was, was it the, no, no, it was the psalm, uh, our governor, God our governor. Um, the, the, the good news of the lordship or the governance of God is that God's for us. And so he does, it's not just, you know, help in time of need, but there's this notion he's governing us. Uh, there's an active lordship in our lives, which really probably should also give us comfort, right? I think so often, again, unconsciously, more than consciously, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm out there alone on this this effort to not pursue less wild lovers. Uh, that God is with you the whole way. He's, he's governing you. 
uh, even though we're so prone to our own stuff. Anybody else? <coughs> Again, the last thing you said before you opened it up for questions about no D goes. Yeah. And I, I really got this uh, from, and it's, let, me, let me try to, this is off the top of my head, so. And I actually meant to say this in the sermon and didn't, but there is a notion in Pauline theology, Paul, Paul theology, stop talking like that, um, where, yeah, there's this great balm of being justified by grace through fit, like just however you want to understand that we're good with God because God has loved us through through not just saying but acts. Um, and there's also this notion in Paul of this wild again that from from the forward looking backward that we are already in Christ in the heavenly places. It it gets almost like mystical, right? Like kind of. What, well, I'm, I'm very much down here. Uh, but also we're up there. There's this kind of, from the future, looking back, however you want to kind of talk about that in a metaphor. But people like to say, Paul is saying, become what you already are. Does that make sense? So we can take that step into what we will be. We have that boldness, and we need not fear, like, okay, I'm taking the step, but, you know, we all have been victims of, uh, of, of consequences that weren't planned. Um, now, yeah, we should think through things because unplanned consequence, unintended consequences can be not so good. But there, there, in the, the gospel part of it is this good news of, again, you don't have to be defensive, but love is moving towards you. So you can take that risk. Uh, you can step into what we will become. And so that's why uh, she emphasizes that uh, like, so often, especially when you end up losing, it seems like the work is done in vain. And what she's saying is from the future, from where we are in the heavenly places, nothing is done in vain toward these ends. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm sort of convoluted, but okay. Anybody else? I like letting you guys, I can let you guys out five minutes early, too. So, well, thank you. We got one more week, and then, uh, then I don't know who's teaching after that. Maybe, maybe Mark's back on or whatever. But, yeah, guys, thanks so much for coming. Uh, why don't I pray, and then we'll, I'll, I'll set you free. And then we're, we're just going to say the same prayer, because it's so good. Oh, Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name. For you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thanks, gang. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.